everybody. Welcome to the Fret Club. I'm John Heights. We have a nice blues twofer today. We go back to 2004 for an interview with the late Sean Costello, and we'll follow that up with a short 2006 interview with blues great Robert Cray. Now, both these interviews done for stories. I was writing for Vintage Guitar Magazine. Check them out at VintageGuitar.com. Uh, and since they were done for the magazine, not really for podcast or radio broadcast or any kind of broadcast, uh, the quality you'll notice sometimes is a little weird, and that's especially true with this first Sean Costello interview. Uh, you'll notice some fluctuations, uh, loudness and uh, quiet. But uh, I think you'll enjoy it anyway. Costello, if you're unfamiliar with him, was a shining young light of the blues at the time of this interview. He was in his mid-20s, had already put out several albums highlighting his, uh, well, really fierce guitar playing and incredibly emotional, wonderful vocals. This interview done in uh, conjunction with a label switch for Costello and a move out of straight blues that saw him mixing more traditional R&B and soul into the mix. Uh, The album was simply called Sean Costello, and uh, we started the interview with some chat about that new record. Well, I just wanted to do... Well, I had written some songs, and they weren't all blues songs necessarily, and I was, you know, I've been listening to a lot of different kinds of music. Sure. I felt like it was time for me to, uh, you know, make an album that was more of a personal statement rather than sort of just rehashing uh, older styles, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yep. Uh, strictly, or or even old records, you know? <laughs> yeah, I understand, yep. Yeah, so, um, I, yeah, I, I guess it was a conscious decision. I mean, it was more like I had the songs, and, and that's just what I was feeling like I wanted to do at the time. It was kind of a gradual gradual thing, and then I got the, the opportunity to, you know, get some cool musicians on the, uh, mm-hmm. on the record that were you know, capable of playing all different kinds of stuff, so. Sure. Uh, was there, uh, to my ear, uh, and, I, you know, I know I, was, I guess I'm just asking if it was kind of a conscious thing or you've been listening to a lot of old soul or, <laughs> because there seems to be a lot of, uh, uh, Yeah, I'm definitely a huge soul music fan and I mm-hmm. thought that, um, well, I feel like that kind of music has got, still got the same sort of feeling uh, yep. and emotion as, as blues does, or, or gospel music. And uh, but you know the song structures could could vary one way or another. So it's just uh, to me it's a natural progression from uh, just doing strictly all you know blues forms mm-hmm. or, or you know primarily blues forms. Uh, it's just the way it's the. To me, it's almost the same kind of music, or it just comes from the same kind of music. So mm-hmm. um, it just is a natural progression, I think. Makes perfect sense, perfect sense. How many years was it? About three, four years and between? Several, this record now, uh, you know, I'll be 26. And I recorded the album when I was 23. <laughs> so this album was actually recorded like two years ago. Oh, it was? Okay. Uh, so it was like two, you know, there was maybe a couple of years between albums. And uh, I did this album. I borrowed some money from some investors and stuff, and, mm-hmm. and uh, wanted to make you know my own record and, and shop it for a different to a different label because I, I sort of wanted to get out of uh, you know the, the just the blues labels and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. You know, I wanted to you know see what my other options were. Okay. And um, I'm sorry, I got lost there. What was no, I I was actually just asking how long between CDs, but oh, yeah. I I didn't realize it had taken couple years for you to get this one. Though. Yeah, so, I mean, it just took a... Uh, we, we made the record long ago. Got and it. started shopping it, and, uh, and, you know, and then we finally decided to go with uh, Artemis, the mm-hmm. school Artemis, and, uh, you know, then we signed that contract, and then they... <laughs> so it got sort of pushed back <laughs> a few times, so I, 
you know, I was sort of waiting around with this with this uh, <laughs> baby or whatever. You know, sure, yeah. For, uh, for a while here before it came out, so I'm glad it finally came out. That's what I was thinking when you said two years ago. My God, you got all this good stuff that you've probably been itching to get <laughs> out there. It, it drove me insane. I was, you know, really, you know, on a big high after I did it for a while, and I was like, well, is this ever going to come? Yeah. Obviously, pretty discouraging. And as far as touring, I was touring behind the same record for a long time. Yeah. It was a decision that I wanted to make. I wanted to go with a, a label that I felt would allow me to do. Uh, music the way I wanted to do it, you know, where I felt like some of the other labels might push me to do more oh, I got things or more sort of stock things, you know, and uh-huh. I, I kind of wanted to just have that freedom, and, and so it took a little while, but I think it was definitely worth the wait. So all the time you were out on the road, were you, were you kind of mixing it up with the old stuff and some of the new stuff? And some of it, but I, I did, I refrained from adding it all to the show or changing the whole show around mm-hmm. because I wanted it to be fresh, you know, when we, uh, mm-hmm. when we uh, came out to tour behind the record. So yeah, I did obviously do some stuff from the record here and there, but I I kind of refrained from, uh, you know, pushing the whole show into that form because I was still playing primarily blues clubs and festivals anyway, so I kind of, mm-hmm. I would throw a couple of things in, but I was kind of kind of holding back a little bit. Got it. Makes perfect sense, yeah. Um, you know, I don't remember, t- on your other stuff, did you write as much? You, uh, and I'm sorry not for knowing that, but... No, 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 it's fine. Uh, on my first record, I wrote about the same. Probably you did, okay. Slightly, you know... Well, slightly more than half of my first record when I was I was 17 or something. Okay, yeah. And, um, the other two records, my Cutting In record, was sort of, um, I had just come off the road with Susan Tedeschi and started to do my own thing around town. I didn't even really have a totally solid band at that time where, you know, mm-hmm. I was using different players and stuff like that, and I was offered to deal with Landslide, so, and I didn't really have any original stuff. I hadn't been writing, but I had, so there's like three originals on that. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, Mona from Lassus, slightly more. You know, I'm, I want to get more and more into songwriting. I'd like to get to where I'm doing yeah. part, primarily my own material. Oh, I, I would say if this album's any indication, that shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> the uh, the covers, pretty cool covers, too. Uh, that especially Simple Twist of Fate kind of took me by surprise. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it took a lot of people by surprise. I wanted to, I'm a huge Dylan fan. Mm-hmm. I have been since I was, I don't know, 10 years old or something. Yeah. And um, I wanted to do a Dylan tune, just for whatever reason, just something like I felt like I wanted to do. Uh-huh. And that song initially, I, I was thinking, well, it was maybe too uh, too well known of a song to try to <laughs> tackle. But um, uh, I don't know. I just had I heard that arrangement in my head, and and uh, I, you know, it came out beautifully. I think it's a live take. You know. Cool. Oh yeah, sounds great. Uh, same with uh, I'm a Ramp was the other the other cover that really kind of grabbed me there. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, that's yeah, early Al Green thing. Yeah. Like a lot, so. <laughs> I love that Memphis stuff, man. The Memphis soul was really some of my favorite stuff. Yeah, it, it was fun, and we'll kind of jump around here a little bit. It was fun to uh, hear your playing because what I had remembered you playing more is pretty much just like a straight blues guy, but here there's all that really cool, all the double stops and all the nice, you know, the Memphis stuff. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm just a huge fan of, uh, you know, Teeny Hodges and, mm-hmm. and uh, Steve Cropper and all those type of guys. Sure. You know, I'm just a big, big soul music fan. Well, let's, let's, you know what, as long as we're in this vein, let's go back a little bit and just talk about, you know, your your beginning, I guess, why you started playing that sort of thing. Okay. Um, how, were you, were you, how old were you when you, you know, decided to... Decided it was something you wanted to play. <laughs> well, you know, my mom says that I asked for a fiddle when I was two years old. Oh. And 
behind one small <laughs> enough. So I always knew, even before, like, when people would ask me what I wanted to be when I was a kid, even before I had a guitar, I would, I remember telling them I wanted to be a guitar player for something. Mm-hmm. And I got a guitar for my ninth birthday. Okay. And uh, I was born in Philadelphia, and I was still living in that area, but pretty, pretty much immediately after our, well, I guess, half, I guess I was about nine and a half when we moved to Atlanta, so I took a few lessons up north and then uh, came down here and once I got settled, took a few more lessons and eventually, I guess, you know, by the time I was about 11 or something, I started taking it pretty seriously and and, uh, practicing all the time and that sort of thing. Um, And I guess that's around the same time that I, I guess what really inspired me to do that was when I finally heard like real blues, you know. Uh Uh Uh, I started out listening to uh, Led Zeppelin and the classic rock stuff, Jimi Hendrix and all that. And um, that sort of, I would read about who they listened to, and it would, you know, talk about Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. And mm-hmm. So I got a Howlin' Wolf record when I was, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. And, and that, once I heard that, I was like, you know, I heard Hubert <laughs> someone's guitar. And I said, what the hell? How did he make his guitar sound like <laughs> Yep. I don't think those notes are on my guitar. <laughs> but um, so then I just sat down and tried to copy Hubert and... and um, and that sort of stuff, and then I eventually started buying BB King and Muddy Records, all the stuff I could find, and then I met certain people that would turn me on to different things. So I've been, you know, obsessed mm-hmm. with it ever since then, pretty much. You, uh, for your generation, obviously, not really into the same kind of stuff you're talking about. Well, yeah, <laughs> did did yeah. you kind of stand out from the uh, crowd there? Oh, definitely. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I was always kind of a strange <laughs> bird, and ter- especially you know nobody was really into blues or anything. Uh huh. Uh, I sort of, you know, I gained some respect, though. I mean, I guess if you're good at anything as a kid, you mm-hmm. know, you know, you can. I guess I turned some people on to it. I guess. Oh, know? cool! There yeah, certainly cool. weren't that many people that I could talk to my age about it. You know, I was uh-huh. from an early age hanging around with uh, obviously musicians that were a lot older than me. So I, uh, I, I, I'll pass this along to you because he told me. And I said, well, I probably will interview him, but uh, Tinsley Ellis had many great things to say about you. Tinsley's a great guy, and he's helped me out um, quite a bit. He helped me get my deal with Landslide Records. And, oh, did he? Okay. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and he's, he's practically a neighbor. <laughs> yeah, he. well, that's, I know that. He, he basically, you know, when I said, you know, where, where do you see this music going? Where do you see? And he said, well... As long as there's guys like Sean Costello around, I'm not worried. So, oh, that's <laughs> he, nice. yeah, just to pass that along, yeah, oh, I told that's him. Really nice. Yeah, he's an incredible guitar player. Too. So, uh, starting out playing, then, um, as far as like band situations went, right. w- were you in your teens or even younger, or h- well, how did that I all mean, develop? I, started, I guess I taught a friend of mine to play drums, or like just like. <laughs> in fact, when I was like maybe yeah, ten or eleven, I you know a friend of mine, you know I would. I just got him to start beating on a bucket, like a cement bucket or something, you know, like a, you know, for a spackle or something. <laughs> sure, yeah. And, uh, and so I was, you know, I kind of described the beat and playing the beat and get him, try to get him to do that while and I'd play along. Eventually he got some drums. Uh-huh. So I kind of taught this friend of mine to play drums and, you know, found another kid to play bass or something, you know, from really, I guess, 11, 12 years old. And then around, like I said, I was about 12, um, I met this guy, Felix Reyes, okay. um, who was uh, originally from Dallas, uh, moved to Atlanta, and was like a Texas blues player, great uh, blues guitar player, okay. um, played a lot with his thumb, and he taught me a lot about uh, T-Bone Walker, and okay. Pee Wee Creighton, and those kind of people, and he uh, invited me to come sit in with his band, huh. 
I guess I was trying out, out a guitar at a guitar show or something, and I think he was working with one of the, you know, stores that had a booth or something. Okay, like sure. And uh, he asked me to come sit in um, at his place, and then I met other people through that, and uh, uh, eventually, you know, I guess put my own band, I guess the way I put my own band together, a professional band, was um, uh, I was on vacation in Memphis uh, mm -hmm. when I was, I don't know, 14 or something like that. Okay. We're having a contest uh, on Beale Street, you know, like a talent contest. Yeah. I just wanted to jam. I heard there was a jam. They said, no, there's no jam tonight. It's a contest. So I signed up just to play. Uh -huh. I wound up winning. And then <laughs> so then I, I wound up representing Memphis, even though I just happened to be there on vacation. <laughs> I wound up representing Memphis uh, in the uh, International Blues competition or whatever. Oh, that's funny. And uh, and then from there, I was able to get management and started getting bookings. I had a manager out of Memphis from when I was like 14. Wow. Started playing uh, around Memphis and Mississippi and Arkansas and okay. uh, the Atlanta area uh, around that time. So Okay. Uh, you know how to spell Felix's last name by any chance? Yes, R-E-Y-E-S. Y-E-S, okay. Um, let me ask you also then, uh, your guitarist... Go Guitar style, pretty obvious how it developed. How about vocals? Since uh, uh, you're a pretty darn good singer, Sean. <laughs> so, what uh, was it? The same kind of deal, guys? You were listening to that sort of thing. Uh, well, my, you know, I, I think I really, I definitely accelerated on the guitar first. I kind mm -hmm. of sang out of necessity. <laughs> yep. You know, doesn't everybody? <laughs> I mean, there's innumerable people that I've copied, mm -hmm. and I, even to this day, I, you know. Sure. Every time I'm driving in the car, I'm listening to something and sing, screaming along with <laughs> it. Sure, sure. So, but yeah, I mean, I copied a lot of guys like, um, well, as far as blues, um, uh, Otis Rush, uh, Johnny Guitar Watson, mm -hmm. uh, J.B. Lenore. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorites. And, uh, you know, of course, Ma well, Magic Sam, and of course, Muddy, and people like that. But I saw like people, Otis Rush, um, Magic Sam, J.B. Lenore. They sort of had a vocal quality that was more similar to mine. Got it. And um, so I kind of gravitated towards them a lot. And then I've also listened to a lot of uh, gospel music. And, uh -huh. and uh, I ca actually I learned I used to sing along with Sinatra a lot. <laughs> and I think that kind of helped me. <laughs> really? In certain ways, yeah. Okay. It, you know, helped me to. Interesting. Project the voice a little bit and, and sing, you know, a uh, straight melody rather than uh, mm -hmm. a real staccato sort of blues thing. But, um, you know, Bobby Womack, Johnny Taylor, uh, people like that, a lot of soul singers. Yep, yeah. Um, okay. Makes sense. Not, not a bad group. <laughs> <laughs> Lenore's voice, I uh, I didn't latch on to him till later in life, but man, I love uh, that stuff, and I, I don't know why, but for some reason it just passed me by. Yeah, and when I, I was a young. lot of people aren't really that hip to him, mm -hmm. and there's some, I've met some people that are just like, oh, I don't like that, and I'm, I, I don't understand how anyone could not like it. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, he's just got the most incredible tone of voice, and his songwriting is incredible. Yep, yep. And he's just a totally unique artist, man, and he's, you know, he was really, really inspiring to me. I mean, I, I just sort of 
obsessed on that guy for a year or two. I didn't really uh, know him. I'm considerably older than you, and <laughs> I didn't run into him till uh, in like '88. Robin Ford had talked to your daughter on a record, right? And I saw the name of the writer, and I went, "What the hell? <laughs> Who's right. this guy?" And then I checked it out and found some stuff, and yeah. So I, I was already hell. I was 30 then, so right. it's like, geez, how did I miss this? But yeah, well, he yeah, I guess he that was kind of a hit for him, and you know, but. Uh, he's just not more of one of the guys you hear about so much. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, how about um, as you started uh, uh, learning to play and gigging, et cetera, et cetera, let's talk a little bit about guitars, otherwise the editor gets really mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> Equipment is not my big deal. I'm, right. I'm more the music thing. Right. But he likes, you know, since it's a vintage guitar, he likes, <laughs> he likes to talk guitars. So I guess when you were younger and started even, you know, uh, what were you? What were you able to use, or what you what you like? I guess. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I started with just a really cheap acoustic guitar, sure. you know, and then I got a you know a Sears catalog electric <laughs> guitar, and then um, eventually I got uh, my dad got me a, an American Standard Strat at some point. When okay. I was maybe. Uh, 11 or something like that. Yep. So I played like no-name stuff for the first couple of years, then I got a Stratocaster, uh, eventually traded that in for like a 57 reissue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I, I started to make money playing when I was in high school, I didn't have any bills to pay, so sure. <laughs> I started buying, like, buying different guitars. Like, um, let's see, I bought a Gretsch Electromatic, like a, a hollow body Gretsch with two DeArmond pickups. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of the first vintage guitar I had, and uh, eventually got uh, the first really nice vintage guitar that I got was a, a 1953 ES175. Nice, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I still have. Um, yep. So I started. I kind of got got rid of the Strat and started playing hollow bodies. Mm-hmm. And um, I had until I bought. Uh, I guess when I was a teenager, also I bought a, a Vibrolux Reverb, a Blackface Vibrolux mm-hmm. Reverb, and Blackface Deluxe Reverb, which were both stolen recently. No. Yeah, so my main ends for years. Our trailer was out in front of my house, and just before Christmas, someone oh. unhooked my trailer and pulled it away. <laughs> Isn't that just lovely? Oh. And two Blackface amps and all. Mm. Yeah, that's. <laughs> that makes you want to. Even if you're a mild guy, it makes you want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, yeah, I'm kind of a. Issue uh, Gold Top. I played mm-hmm. one just in this guitar shop around town, and you know I kind of was taken with that guitar, and I and I so I started playing the Gold Top um, about ninety January of ninety seven or something. So mm-hmm. um, just before I started working with Susan Tedeschi, I started playing one of those. Okay, I've got a few different guitars and things. If you want to get into that now, I don't know, but um, yeah, a, I, a little I would actually like okay. to. So, um, I eventually, I've got a 1953 uh, gold, Les Paul Gold Top okay. mm-hmm. that I uh, traded a bunch of stuff in for <laughs> that I got a couple years ago. Yep. And uh, I've got a, let's see, what else have I got? <laughs> I got a historic uh, 
ES-345. Okay. Mm -hmm. I've got a 1960 ES-330. Okay. And I've got a, like an early 50s um, Epiphone arch top acoustic, and I've put one of those uh, uh, D-Armin. Okay, yeah. Kind of and uh, what else have I got? about it right now. I've got okay. an old, uh, you know, Gibson uh, GA200 Rhythm King amp. I've got uh, a couple of old Magnetone amps. Okay. And uh, an Ampeg Gemini. So I had, just when I, my amps were stolen, I went out and got a, an Ampeg Gemini. Got it. Okay. When you, when you are recording, what general, do you use them all? What do you, you know, I mean, is there one, two, maybe that you... You like so, more than others. Uh, well, this this last record was done primarily with the that '53 Gold Top through my Vibrolux Reverb, which is my my rig for okay. you know years. Is that what's on the cover? I don't have it in front of me. Is yeah. that what you're holding? Okay, got it. Okay. And uh, but I also, I mean, I used a lot of stuff on that. And, and now, actually, uh, I do have a Telecaster also. Uh, okay. Uh, Relic '63 Relic Tele, and my guitar tech has, has built me this. Uh, a jazz master, a Mary Kay White jazz master with a had a gold anodized pick guard made. <laughs> really? Make it oh, fun! It's a really, really cool guitar that he's just put together for me. Oh, that's a, yeah. That sounds like that sounds like fun. Yeah, but on the record, yeah, on the record, I, I generally bring <laughs> it's all my amps <laughs> and all my guitars, and I'll use them. I mean, I used a lot. Of, I used a 335 on the record. I used uh, uh, Collings Acoustic. I used um, all kinds of stuff on there a lot of different amps my uh, the guy who plays with me Paul Linden who plays keys and harp has got a bunch of uh, you know old amps as well so mm -hmm, I mean mm -hmm. we generally go in the studio with a slew of amps sure sure how about uh, once you hit the road what do you take out with you well it, it was always um, until recently it was the so, actually yeah. I would take the 53 gold top on the road uh -huh. and, wow uh, <laughs> the two blackface amps and some sort of backup like probably the reissue uh, mm -hmm. gold top now I'm traveling with the reissue gold top, uh, the 345, and uh, okay. the Ampeg Gemini, basically. Got it. Okay. Uh, let me go back a little bit. You keep uh, talking about. Did you play with oh, Susan wait, for a while? Yeah. I got to mention this because. Uh oh. Uh, it's an, like sort of an, my first endorsement thing. Oh, okay. Okay, and uh, the guy's apparently going to take out an ad and finish guitar, so I better mention. We want. Yeah, we definitely want to get that in there. <laughs> The guy's name is Richard Goodsell. Uh-huh. And um, the name of the amp is a Super 17. It's a, a Class A, like 17-watt Class A amp, but it's made from old Hammond organ parts. Oh, really? Yeah, he's wow. like a uh, Hammond organ like guru guy. Huh. And um, I guess the, you know, one of the, the big B3 book or whatever, he's one of the main writers, you know. Interesting. Okay. And uh, so it's just great sounding, like, you know, sounds like an AC-15 or something, you know. Or <laughs> really? Like, yeah, it's like, you know, british sounding thing, but uh, it, he actually he actually gave me one of those amps after, because I had no, <laughs> had no amp, all my stuff was stolen. Yeah, you had nothing to use, sure. Yeah, so he yeah. gave me one of, he was kind enough to give me one of those, and, and uh, I really like it, and endorsing that and he make it's a combo of the one I have now but he's uh I'm supposed to go check out a, a head and cabinet thing and all that so huh. it's, it's a really cool amp it's a different sound for me but it's it's really a, it's one of the uh better sounding okay. uh, you know modern amps that I've heard it's sure. got a lot more character than most most new tube amps yeah okay all right yeah we'll check that out too and make sure I know what it is before I write 
There you go. Uh, what uh, w did you play with Susan for a while? Because you brought her name up a couple times. Were you in yeah, her band? Yeah. Or? I, uh, let's see. She asked me to play on her "Just Won't Burn" album. Okay. I guess, uh -huh. Just as I was graduating high school, so I played guitar on most of that album. And you uh, did? Okay. I did not know that. Yes, and I t was her sort of band leader, and uh, well, actually, my band backed her up on the road when she first came out with that record, okay. and then I eventually quit. I mean, I played with her for a year, three months or something like okay. that, okay. and um, my ba I left and my band stayed on for a while after hmm. I left, but uh, yeah, I played with her for, for a while. Okay. I uh, played on that record. I've got a gold record for that band, actually. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, let's see. What else? What else can I bug you with here? <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, uh, we talked a little bit about the kind of music you like, what you listen to growing up, and stuff. Like, uh, if we were to catch you today listening to stuff, what would what would we find? Today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and I know it's a real vague, big question, but. Costello from an interview in 2004. Tragically, we lost Costello in 2008 to what the coroner called an accidental drug overdose. He had suffered from a bipolar condition and was being treated at the time. His family has set up the Sean Costello Memorial Fund for Bipolar Research in his honor. A huge loss at the time to the world of guitar playing and music of the literally hundreds of young blues men populating the music scene at that time. Uh, he was easily in the top five or ten. Uh, now we're going to move along to 2006. We're going to talk with uh, one of the really true greats in the history of blues music, and especially in the last 40 years or so, Robert Cray. 2006 interview, Cray was promoting his first live album at the time. It was called Live from Across the Pond. We started with a conversation about why it was time to make a live record. Well, the thing is, it's like we've made attempts in the past to make <laughs> live records. Okay. And it's always those, you know, you got one night to do it. Sure. And it's always, you know, a lot of pressure on myself and everybody else in the band. And like I'm sure a lot of people will probably tell you, it, you always, you know, it, it never really pans out the way you'd like it. Sure, sure. You know, one thing or another. <laughs> you know, the anticipation and everybody knows the, the button's been pressed and you got to do it right. Yeah. And, you know, little things like, you know, your voice chokes up on you and all that kind of thing. So when the opportunity arose for, uh, you know, to do the shows for Clapton at Royal Albert Hall, mm -hmm. seven nights there, and uh, the most important thing on your mind was trying to, to, to garner some new fans. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. didn't think about the recording Correct. going on, and so we took advantage of that. <laughs> they sound very uh, very natural. This is not like anybody was really too worried about the machines no, at all. No, weren't worried about the machines at all. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, and I've seen you, uh, I've, I live in Minneapolis, so I've seen you out at the zoo here 
many times. I know you've played out there a lot, uh, which that's a real intimate setting. I don't know if you remember it at all, but I do. Yeah, yeah and what's nice? Exactly. <laughs> we funny you should say that. I saw Los Lobos this weekend, and their guitar player brought a tennis racket to fight off the mosquitoes. So oh. it was pretty funny. Um, I'm curious. One thing I liked about the live record, and it may sound like an odd point, but I know when I see you in an intimate setting, and I can hear you when you're soloing, you're obviously Make, oh, yeah. making noise and you can hear that on this record uh -huh. and I like that so I get I don't that's not really a question I'm just curious you know what <laughs> what you're doing there <laughs> uh, I, I'm just grunting and grunting <laughs> trying to get what I want you know and, and I don't know it's just a habit that's been hard to shake over all these years you know? <laughs> well it's very I don't I'm not saying it's a bad thing I love it so you know it was it was fun to hear we that had to actually turn it down a little bit <laughs> did you really <laughs> That's funny. Oh, it was it was fun to hear. Um, let me ask you how. Obviously, you you have a lot of uh, you have a, a big big backlog of songs to choose from. I guess in general, when you perform, you know how, how do you decide what your song list is going to be? And then for this record, obviously, you had to I'm sure pare it down. Well, for us uh, mm -hmm. making this record, we were doing 40 minute sets. Okay. Uh -huh. So what we would do is obviously we play some of the same songs on a nightly basis, but we change up a few every night Got it. so that we could have enough songs to uh, mm -hmm. release an album. And uh, for for the most part, we don't we don't work with a set list, uh, but we do have a a, a song list okay. that, I, that I use in case I get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I heard some stuff there, and I don't have it in front of me, but uh, I yeah, like I've said, I've probably seen you I don't know four or five times. But I know there's one or two on there that I've, I've never seen you do, so <laughs> it was kind of fun uh, to hear that. So your song list obviously contains stuff literally from day one of your career till now, it sounds well, like. Well, I mean, not, not, it, it, it's not that huge yeah. of a yeah. working set list that we can, you know, uh, that we, can, we, we can't really call everything, but yep. we can call a lot, probably about, you know, 30, 35 songs, I would oh, think. Okay, okay. Uh, what about, uh, and this is probably going to be a fairly easy question and something uh, guitar-wise, uh, what are you using live these days, uh, instrument-wise and also amp-wise? Uh, and I guess it would apply to this record. Were you, what were you using there? I was using uh, the Stratocasters, mm -hmm. the, the signature Strat, sure. uh, different ones. Uh, just going back and forth between a couple different ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, this so just the Strat. The same thing, yeah, I mean, you generally use, obviously. Yeah. Amps. And the amps, uh, the Matchless Clubman 35s, mm -hmm. two of those. Mm -hmm. And um, I run those together, and then and sometimes when we use that uh, uh, st uh, stereo vibrato, that's a, it's a, a remake of the Magnetone uh -huh. stereo vibrato that we have. It's a rack mount that was made by our guitar tech, uh, Greg Zachariah. Okay, mm-hmm. We've talked to Greg, yes. Yeah, and um, and then we also for the uh, delay on songs like Poor Johnny, and also in Twenty, we use uh, the TC Electronics uh, Twenty Two Ninety. Okay. We use the effect from that board, and then it's the reverb. There's a reverb unit. I'm using a, a PV Valverve on some of the stuff, and then the, the reverb out of the uh, Vibro King. Okay. Okay. Uh, how about the Did band? I mention the Vibro King. I use the Vibro King as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the band, uh, because you, you, boy, you guys, for the most part, you've all been playing together for a while now. Yeah, uh, we have. Uh, is it, yeah, in this day and age, it's kind of an odd thing to see, <laughs> even, you know, 
even the big shots seem to have players that come and go. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, how, you know, I guess you guys keep growing, keep, you know, keep going. Uh, how do you manage to keep things <laughs> together, I guess, for lack of a better word? Well, I, we, you know, we're, we, we have a good time together. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, we're friends, and, and, uh, um, and everybody participates in the songwriting and the arranging mm-hmm. of songs that we bring, you know, to, uh, to the, the recordings and all that. Like, you know, Kevin mm-hmm. has written some songs with us over the years. The song I'm Walking is one that he and his brother Chris wrote. Mm-hmm. And then Jim Pugh's been writing songs for a long time with us as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Carl's brought some great arrangement ideas into the fold. And uh, also with the uh, not using a set list, uh, and call it, turn around and, and calling songs <laughs> to the guys, you know. It keeps everybody on their toes. And it makes it fun. Yeah, sure. It's like, you know, you, you're not doing the same old set list night, night to night, you know. It's, it's also nice, uh, see, when we see you live, certainly everybody gets a chance to show their stuff, so that's a, that's a, that's a plus. Um, let me ask you, uh, I actually just have a few things, Robert. I won't keep you long, but right. <laughs> I'm sure you don't care, but... Uh, uh, I, a couple things not having to do with live stuff I want to ask you about. Uh, uh, just uh, your career in general, your writing, singing, and playing obviously branched out You know, in other areas. People used to consider you pretty much straight blues guitars, but those days I think are probably over. Uh, would you agree with that, I guess? Well, I mean, like, it, it, they considered, a lot of people considered us a blues band, and mm-hmm. obviously from day one, I mean, you, you, the, the evidence is there that we did you know, a lot of different things besides blues. And, mm-hmm. um, I, we just let, we're just letting what happens happen. Mm-hmm. And I think with every, it, myself included, I mean, I listen to a lot of different things. And I, when I sit down to write a song, I don't tell myself I'm going to write a particular style of song. I just let, you know, what happens happen. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the rest of the guys, too. Uh-huh. If something turns out to sound like 20, that's great. If it sounds like Poor Johnny, that's great. If it's like, you know, we want to do the remake of a, the 12-year-old boy, the Elmore <laughs> take, you know, that's fine, too, because we love it all. Sure. And sure. Uh, it's, it's just what's, you know, what's there. As long as you brought up the writing process for yourself, uh, does it generally involve lyric before music? Is it music before lyric? Is it both? Is it neither? It, it's actually both. Okay. And sometimes, you know, you get a great idea for, for a story, like, you know, the lyric to 20, which yeah. that came first, and then the music kind of followed along. Mm-hmm. Uh, for something like Poor Johnny... It was a melody that I had, actually had like about four years ago, and I re- went back and revisited a, an old cassette tape that I had <laughs> my song ideas on. And of course. Yeah. You know, I gotta go, I gotta use that one. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, Playing-wise these days, uh, I mean, you're gigging all the time and everything. Uh, do you do you ever just sit down still to, to practice, or is it always a musical situation? Do you, you know what I mean? It's been mostly these days a musical situation. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I grab the guitar when ideas strike and that kind of thing, but I've always been bad about sitting down to <laughs> practice. I envy Carl Severide, our bass player. He takes his bass everywhere he goes. On the Derek Clapton too, I see Derek Trucks with his guitar in his hand all the time, uh-huh. you know. And, uh, but I, for some reason, I, I don't do it. I pick it up before the gig, you know, yep, and sure. do some ideas and things like that. And I'm not, I don't sit down and I don't know, I, I, I think my attention span is like shot these days. <laughs> that happens, I know what you mean. How about uh, as far as uh, listening and that kind of thing, do you, do you 
still listen to a lot of music? If so, what kind of stuff? We, you know? we like to consider ourselves part of a group called Musicians Against Music. <laughs> <laughs> and what does that mean? <laughs> it's like when we get picked up to go to the gig and, you know, the guy's settling us around and he's got the radio on, we politely ask him to turn it off. <laughs> Cray from 2006. Thanks for listening to the Fret Club. Hope you enjoyed both the chat uh, with Robert Cray, truly one of the greats, and the one earlier with the late great Sean Costello. If you have any comments, feel free to send me an email at jhite at hbi.com or feel free to send me a message at the Fret Club accounts on Twitter or Facebook. And uh, by all means, if you or someone you know would like to advertise on the show so we can keep this going, please contact me. Uh, Thanks again for listening to the Fret Club podcast, and we will talk again next week.